morning, church. My name's Graham. And uh, though I don't look the part this morning, I do have the privilege uh, to be one of the pastors here. Um, And so because this beard is falling apart and it's going to distract me, I'm going to go ahead and remove this thing. It's been killing me for like three hours now. Um, However, uh, as you'll notice, um, I sat in a different seat than I normally sit in on Sunday mornings. Um, uh, Depending on when you came in, uh, which driveway you, you took, you may or may not have seen me. Uh, spent majority of the morning right outside on on the edge of Franklin Road, um, and I did that for a number of reasons. Um, chief among those reasons is I wanted to to take in a different perspective of Sunday morning in Franklin. I wanted to to see our immediate neighborhood, our community, the surrounding neighborhood, the traffic, the patterns, even into this church through the eyes of an outsider through the eyes of somebody that is not connected to the church. And as I did that, I didn't really have an agenda. I didn't have an anticipation. I I don't know what I was expecting to think or feel or experience, but um, I'll just be honest with you. Um, I got more than I bargained for. Um, Because as I sat there this morning for a couple of hours, I, I was humbled. I was convicted. And I was struck by how easy it is to miss somebody. How easy it is to to be so busy, so concerned with where I'm coming from, where I'm going to, that I just miss them. I thought about how many times I've been on the other side of the experience where I've been in the car driving by. And I know this morning I look the part of of someone who may or may not be homeless, down on their luck, you fill in the blank, obviously having a rough time. And though those opportunities, those experiences are important, there are people in need. Our church has a long history of room in the inn and compassion ministries like that. I I thought beyond that this morning. And I thought about the people whom I interact with every single day who are as broken on the inside as I appeared on the outside. The people that I I cross paths with at the gym in the mornings or at a lunch meeting or at the grocery store or in our neighborhood as we walk around. The people that would never tell me, and I have never asked, so I'd never know how broken they actually are. How much pain actually exists in their world. It's no secret that in our culture, our society, we have... Um, skyrocketed in in categories that are not good ones. Opiate addictions are at all-time highs. Drug abuse, substance abuse of some kind at all-time highs. Suicide rates across the country and in Williamson County. Find an officer on our campus and they'd be willing to share. It happens in our backyard too. Medications flying. We have done an amazing job of medicating spiritual conditions in this country. There's no shortage of pain. There's no shortage of of heartache. There is no shortage of brokenness. And I began to consider my daily rhythm and all of the different ways that I might have missed somebody. 
And I literally sat on the road and I prayed out loud. I said, God, would you help me learn to see people? Would you help me learn to see people for who they are and for who they could be? Would I go out of my way? Would you break my heart until it moves my hands and my feet? Maybe for you, you right now can think about that person in the office that you sit a few cubicles down from. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody at the grocery store, a banker, a kid's school teacher, a soccer coach. Somebody that you know in your life that you don't know anything beyond their name and maybe their kids' names. And there's pain and there's brokenness and there's hurting happening and we have not made ourselves available, accessible. We haven't opened our hands, our hearts, or our eyes to see the need beyond the person. We talked about church in this series for a number of weeks and uh, that, that can even be true in the church world. I sat about 100 yards from a building this morning that houses the institution, the only institution that God ever intended to bring the solution of hope and healing to the world. And yet my fear, if I can just be totally honest with you this morning, as as a church member and as a fellow believer in Jesus, my fear is that we can get so concerned and consumed with doing church that we neglect to do ministry. That is, we become so concerned and so consumed by and so focused on what happens inside these four walls that we render ourselves effectively useless outside of them. And that nothing makes it past these doors. We get consumed and get busy. When we think about this idea of church, it's one that breaks my heart because I sat right there today and I experienced cars coming to and from, leaving and entering our campus, and it broke my heart to understand how many times that has been me. We are the only institution, the only plan that God has to bring hope and healing through Jesus to the world. He's not looking to anyone or anything else. He's far more concerned with the church house than he is about the White House. There is no other fix to this thing. We are the plan. And when I think about church and I think about this, this series that we've been in, I'm reminded of a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you, if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens too, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul just gets right at it to the heart of the issue of the mission and the ministry of the church and of the, in the life of the believer. It'll be a familiar passage for some. There's a couple of coffee cup verses um, that make it on the VBS t-shirts and all that that will hit those too. Um, but familiar for some, but, but the Apostle Paul's writing, think about it, to the, uh, the church in, uh, of Corinth. And when you read books in the New Testament, uh, like Galatians or Philippians or Ephesians, they were written as letters to these churches. And what that means is that Paul is addressing certain things that are going on in this church. And so if you're doing the math at home... The Corinthian church not only got one, they got two letters, and they're both the longest. So there's a lot going on in Corinth, right? The the Corinthian church is jacked up, brother. Like They are just messed up. And so Paul gets right at the heart of the issue here in verse 14 of of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says this, For the love of Christ compels us. It motivates us. It moves us. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore... All have died. 
And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Hear it again. Should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. In a different letter to the churches of Galatia, he would, he would say this way, that I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, we should know, if we know Jesus, those who live means that they're walking with Jesus, should no longer live for themselves. Verse 16, he says, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, here's the t-shirt. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Paul says we see ourselves differently, we see each other differently, and we see the world around us differently. Why? Not because we've been made from bad to good, but because we've been made from dead to alive. Paul says it's not about measuring if you're doing good or not doing good or being a better Christian. A better Christian is an oxymoron. You are not either good or bad. You are dead or you are alive. And Paul's getting right at the heart of it, and he says, we no longer even regard the former life. We see Jesus. We see Jesus in people. He doesn't say you're a better creation. He says you're a new creation. He didn't just come to make you better. He came to make you alive. Verse 18, he says, Everything is from God who has, here's the word, reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Let me pause for a second. It's a big word, but so is mayonnaise. And so we're going we're gonna to go for a second. Reconciliation. The easiest way to understand that term is the reconnection. That is, you can get theologically deeper, you can can make it more complicated, and it certainly gets deeper. But the easiest way to understand it is is the reconnecting to Christ. It is that we were once far apart, we were once far off. The old hymn writer would say, oh, the vast that God did span. There was a gap, and Jesus has made a way to reconcile, to, to fix that, to make it all right again, to reconnect it, to make the ends meet. And he says this, he says, he is, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ has given us, what? The ministry of reconciliation. It's a powerful thought. That Jesus has given us access to the ministry that literally connects people to hope. That connects them to healing and connects them to life. Verse 19, he keeps going and he says, that is, I love when he continues and expands, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And here it is again. He's very clear. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He hasn't just offered it to us. He's invited us to be a part of it. The greatest news in the world that I can ever give you is that Jesus has made a way for you to be reconciled to him. The second greatest news in the world is that he's invited you to be a part of the process for other people. That you can be the message of hope. And Nancy Alcorn, the founder of Mercy Multiplied, said it this way, it's hard to argue with a changed life. That is, you and I can use the story, be a part of what it is that God is doing, open ourselves up to the realization that he wants to use us to be part of this ministry, to be part of this reconciliation. 
to be the, the access point for people. Go back to the, the road earlier, the people that we pass every single day. We have no idea what's going on. And the convicting part for me is maybe I don't know what's going on because I've never asked. Maybe I've never actually invested. There's hurting people, and, G- and Paul is saying right here, hey, he's given you the charge over it. There is no other plan. He's charged you, committed this ministry to you. He invites you to be a part of it. Now, this, this whole be a part of the reconciliation process, I'll just be honest with you, it, it messes me up a little bit. Um, because I, I believe in the sovereignty of God, I believe in the power of God, and because I believe in all of that, I have to believe that the moment that Adam and Eve shattered the world in sin, God could have just hit force quit. Right? Like he could have just turned it off, turned it back on. How many times have we just done that with our phones or our computer? I'll just, you tried resetting it? Like, uh, God could have done that, right? Just like, you know what, wipe it clean, we're just going to start over. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He... He came himself after allowing our, the people to prove to themselves over and over and over again that they could not find it another way. We want this king. Give us this king. No, not that one. Give us some land. We have to go how far? And there's just this cycle over and over and over again until eventually there's a period of silence where God just says, you know what? We're done. And he came in, in the form of a human to be himself. Because Jesus knew the only way to rescue this world was to join it. It was to be there. To be there in person. And so he made it personal, and then he invites us into the journey, connecting people to the same hope that we found. Brennan Manning said it this way, I'm just a beggar trying to tell other beggars where I found bread. It's just pointing people to this idea of hope. And he goes on in verse 20 and he says this, Therefore, because of all of this, we are, here's the key word, ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's another t-shirt verse. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This, this word ambassador is one that I find really intriguing. For those of you that don't know my wife, uh, shame on you. Um, <clears throat> I literally had someone stop me uh, at Starbucks yesterday and was like, I know you, uh, you're Catherine's husband. And I was like, that's the only thing you need to know about me. And so, um, so Catherine, before we even started dating, uh, went on an 11-month mission trip to Europe, Africa, and Asia. She visited all sorts of countries um, and uh, did a lot of mission work and a lot of ministry across across the sea and uh, did a lot of cool things and we were in Washington DC about six or seven months ago and um, stayed not too far from what's known as Embassy Row. Embassy Row is on Massachusetts Avenue and it's this place where all of the different delegations from all these different countries are literally all roommates down this street. And every house, every townhouse, every, every uh, brownstone, all of this represents a country that has some sort of ambassador or delegation who is stateside in America. And they even let you decorate the house and, and, and make the house on the outside look like it belongs in your country. 
And so like the, the, uh, the, the house from Mexico looks like it belongs in Mexico. The house from Italy looks like it belongs in Italy. The house from Korea or Japan, one of those looks absolutely terrifying. And so it looks like a mental hospital. And so uh, that's going to get the live stream shut off. So um, all that said, uh, we were walking down this path and I was thinking about this ambassador and I'm seeing these cars that people drove in and, and what are they actually doing here? Like what, what, what is the role of an ambassador, right? Are they elected? Like the my, my taxes pay for them. Like, do they just get to do whatever they want to do? I know they get to park wherever they want to park. But other than that, like, what, what, what do they actually do? So I looked up the definition of an ambassador. And it said this, the resident representative of his or her own government appointed for a special and temporary assignment. So when Paul says we are ambassadors of Christ, what he's literally saying is we represent the government of Jesus and we are on temporary assignment in a foreign land. The world is not our home. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find myself with desires that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world, the only logical explanation is that I was created for another world. Don't miss it. Paul uses this word very intentionally. It means that you're representing the authority of Jesus, the government of Jesus, in a foreign land on assignment. On assignment. There's work to be done. There's pain in the world, so there's work to be done. There's hopelessness in the world, so there's work to be done. You and I are not here to hit cracker barrel and rock our blessed assurance to glory. We are here to make a dent in the world for the sake of the gospel. To move the kingdom forward. And Paul's saying, hey, you are the ambassador representative of Jesus. Friends, this is the assignment. This is the goal. This is the work. And it shatters my heart sometimes to hear people that wander especially people that follow Jesus, wander and wonder, man, I just wish that God would clarify his will for my life. Like, I just wish that he'd make that super clear. We deal with the students that ask that question all the time, and I get the question. But part of me just wonders if he doesn't really care what career path you take as long as you make much of Jesus. Because there's billions of lost people in the world. Maybe start there. With this God's will for my life, like it's to be a representative of Jesus, to take every opportunity to make much of Him. And I'm not suggesting that we all leave here and go grab lunch and then meet up in Cool Springs and picket street corners and yell people into heaven. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in a, in a, in a hand out to people to connect people beyond just, oh, I know your name and I, I know we work together and I know this and that, but to say, hey, you know what? Let me go check on that person. Make sure they have my phone number. Make sure they know who I am. Be the, the front door for someone into Jesus. This is the mission. This is the assignment. We talk a lot about this church series and all the different aspects of church, but this is the one that if we don't do this, we should sell the building tomorrow. There's nothing more central than connecting people to hope and connecting people to Jesus. Our students have heard me talk about a, a student that was in our ministry in Georgia. His name was Malachi. Malachi was a fifth grader when we got to Sherwood. 
and uh, he was the life of the party. He was the kid that everybody asked, when's Malachi getting here? Where's he, when's he going to be? He's the kid that literally would get in trouble at school and at church, not because he's a bad kid. He just couldn't stop. Like he's just talking, and he's goofing, and he's just everybody's best friend. He's the life of every room that he steps into. Malachi was a soccer player, and there was a, a, after a certain game, he had an a, uh, injury on his back, and he was trying to figure out, he was complaining a little bit to his parents about an injury, just felt like he pulled a muscle or something, and it didn't get any better after a few, different day, a few days. And eventually, he um, went to the doctor and said, you know, let's see if we can get it checked out, and they took some x-rays and different imaging, and the doctor came in and told Roger and Kim, his parents, hey, you guys need to pack a bag. Um, and drive up to Atlanta. Malachi has a, a tumor on his spine, the base of his spine, and we're not really sure what, what to do with this, so we've already made arrangements for you to go up to Emory University Hospital, and they're expecting you as soon as you can get there. And so that began about a year and a half of journey up I-75, going Albany to Atlanta, back to Albany over and over again, about a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive which doesn't sound like a big deal until you have a tumor on your spine. And so they have to stop early and often in these road trips. But here's what Malachi was just committed to. Malachi was committed to tell everybody that he could about the hope that lied within him. There are stories of Malachi literally sharing his faith in gas station parking lots with people as they would have to stop and, and rest for a minute. There are dozens of nurses and doctors that would tell you that he's the one that told them uh, about his hope in Jesus. They would ask him, why are you so encouraged? Why are you, you're pretty sick, buddy. And he's like, well, I, I know where I'm going, and I know who I belong to. 11 years old, 12 years old. Back and forth to the hospital. He's, he's ministering to the EMTs that have to come get him every so often. He's just completely convinced there is no other option. And so he's sharing his faith, and he's just loving on people, and he's be, using his personality and who God made him to be and leveraging it. His sickness got a little bit worse and eventually relegated him down to a wheelchair. And Catherine actually took this picture at a middle school worship night that we had. And there, you can kind of see it's a little bit dark, but you can kind of see his hands are raised. And we found out later that his mom told us that that was the first time that he'd ever raised his hands in worship. Bald-headed in a wheelchair, undergoing all kinds of chemo and different treatments. And there he is in the back of the room. And Catherine just snaps it really quick. It tears in her eyes, and I saw it later, and I lost it. It was just a mess, right? So, but that didn't stop him, man. He's still coming to church. He's still getting involved in his school. He's still telling people about Jesus. He's using his life. He's opened himself up to this idea of using his life for the ministry of reconciliation. Offering hope where he can. He would continue to share and share and share. And I wish this morning, church, that I had a story of a miraculous healing. But about two years after his diagnosis, Malachi went to be with Jesus. At the bottom of his headstone is the word testify. Malachi had made that his word about six months into his journey. He and our pastor uh, had committed. Our pastor had gone through a similar um, situation with a family member, and that, that family member said, I just had to hold on to a word, and Malachi picked testify. Testify if he's been good to you. Testify of what he's done in you and through you, and that is sitting in Albany, Georgia right now. The story of Malachi, opening himself up, using any, in any and every opportunity to make much of Jesus. Didn't matter how comfortable he felt, 
how sick he felt. didn't matter if he knew the person or not. He's just committed to the message, committed to the mission. When he passed away in September, uh, he went to a Christian school called Sherwood Christian Academy, and it's run actually by the church, and it's off campus, but it's operated by the church, and um, uh, the news kind of was coming down. He was not doing well, and uh, eventually um, he, uh, he passed away, and news hit the school that, that Malachi had died, and, and what happened next is something that nobody expected, and it's something that I'll never forget. And so take a look at this video of what happened here. This is the principal, Kenny Roberts, and then Malachi's parents talking about how God used this. With the beginning of school in mid-August, um, there was already a talk of um, Malachi not doing well, uh, for, especially for his classmates, and that, and that was last year's seventh grade class. They were uh, following him as he goes to Atlanta and back for treatments, and um, hearing of his um, strength and um, his friends, and not even his closest friends, but the entire school is watching this boy um, call down adults about their own salvation. Well, see, all these students are seeing that. He knew what was going on in his body. He knew everything that was happening, and he just, he just literally went through the list of people that he knew that needed Jesus, and I, I'm just gonna write him down, I'm gonna fight for him. The, the day of, of his passing, classes stopped. Students who had seen all that and had seen him fighting, just fighting, um, not only for, for life, but for, for the gospel, they're all gathered in this little grassy area right outside these doors on the end here. Um, and our headmaster called me and said, hey, I think you need to go be with the middle school. walking down the hallway from the other end of the high school, my prayer was, um, just help me have the words to, to um, push these kids forward and to help them to see that, uh, what Malachi did. And so I walked out these doors out into the, and there, there are students out there and they're um, some of his closest friends and um, they're just sad. And uh, I don't know how long we were out there, um, but we just, we just kept praying. Um, and asking God to allow us to um, take Malachi's legacy and his message that you saw him. I said, build on that. Well, God knew this timing of, of um, Malachi's passing and, and the tenderization of hearts in, the, in our school of adults and children. And, and, and our, our annual um, refresh conference, our Bible conference at our church would be the next week. And um, to say that God had tenderized hearts for his plans and his purposes, I think would be an understatement. It was miraculous because it spread like a wildfire. Multiple students in the ninth grade, multiple students in the senior class uh, were receiving Christ for the, you know, and um, I see their faces. It was so special because it was them, you know. It was their heart. There was no high-pressure pitch, you know. It was just God moving and blowing His breath through this place. And um, one of, one of the seniors 
before this year had a list of 10 um, friends that she wanted to um, pray for. And um, that they would be saved. And uh, she brought that to a teacher and she said, look, we're checking them off. And uh, well, somebody said, "How do we? How do? How can we record this? How do we know what to do?" And so one of our math teachers on the other hall said, "Let's put it on my board." And so they started writing a, started, started writing the list of students every time a name. And who who else? Who else? You know, they start. And then there would be a celebration, and then there would be a race a race to the board to 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 write a name up. By Friday, there were over a hundred names on that board of people who had made decisions for Christ. For every student that I've taught over the last two years, it's been, do you realize what Christ and what your Father in Heaven has done for you? And Malachi realized what had been done for him, and he felt like, maybe I just have a short time, and if you give me more time, I'll do this more. But I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm gonna throw everything else to the side, and I'm gonna let, make sure everybody that I come in contact with hears this. So these students who had seen all that, they, I mean, you could just see them just stand up and then talking to each other and encouraging each other, hey, I mean, we can be bold today. For every person who's gonna walk on this planet, like death is inevitable. For him though, he had kind of a timeline. And for those people who think the one isn't important, if my son had not accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, our story, September 10th, was when, yeah. There's no celebration. Mm -mm. And when you look back, is it a sister? Is it a brother? Is it your son? Is it your, your daughter? Is it your spouse? Like, I didn't expect it to be this way, but. I mean, one matters. Like, one person, like, matters. The God you know will be the God that you make known. And so whatever is on my heart will be reflected in my life. Whatever is on your heart will be reflected by your life. Malachi had given himself fully and totally to Jesus. And his boldness outlived him. And um, you heard it said um, that the Lord used Malachi's situation to tenderize the hearts of people that needed Jesus. To soften them up. When Kenny said that we knew that tenderization is the word he used. Friends, the, the pain and the heartache in this world can be tenderizers for hearts. But that only happens if we make a commitment to allow God to use our lives. I realize that not anybody or everybody in the story has a or in this room has a story like Malachi's. But everybody in the room has a story. And what would it be like, friends, if we would just be committed and allow God to use it? What could 
Franklin? What could Williamson County, what could your office look like, your school look like, your neighborhood look like if we would just open ourselves up and say, you know what, I've got time. I've made the margins. I've made myself available. What would it look like, friends, if we would make it our solemn and our our honest prayer and say, God, help me learn to see people. Open my eyes. Help me to be aware of where I am and who I'm with. Malachi's story is simply what is possible through obedience. There's over 100 people who will experience the joy of heaven in part because of his obedience and his willingness to embrace this ministry of reconciliation and to do all that he could to tell the other hungry people where he found bread. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.